the Word of God for our uh, sermon this morning. We have two scripture passages this morning. Our Old Testament scripture passage is Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4 verses 1 through 8. So if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Micah chapter 4 verses 1 through 8. Micah chapter 4 verses 1 through 8. And we'll start the reading there. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. And it will be raised above the hills. And the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, And no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame a remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, O watchtower of the flock, O stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. And our New Testament scripture reading this morning will be from Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. So turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 12, where we read here these words. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast. Or does such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded? If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to his people. Will you pray with me this morning as we turn to God's word? God, may we hear in your word this morning the great hope that we have. 
the great hope that you have promised us, the future that you have promised us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know if uh, any of you have ever seen this out uh, and about, not more recently since you've been uh, stuck inside your houses like me, but uh, maybe in the past if you ever went to downtown Chicago or any big, large metropolitan area, you might have seen someone wearing a sandwich board sign, you know, the signs that you wear over your shoulders and it has a sign in the front, it has a sign in the back. Or you might have just seen someone holding a piece of, uh, of ripped up cardboard with some writing on it. And, and the writing would, would say, the end is near. The end is near. Now, of course, that can be turned into a meme in our modern day and age. Something that's shared around as a, a thing to laugh at. A thing to scorn, a thing to, uh, to mock. And, and we look at those kinds of people out there wearing these sandwich signs that say the end is near um, as maybe not all together in the head. But it, that image of someone wearing a sign, the end is near, actually speaks. It speaks to Micah's audience in this scripture passage that we read this morning. And it even speaks to us. Today, You see, in Micah's day, the northern kingdom had already fallen to Assyria. And so now, in Judah, as he's prophesying to Judah, their enemy is on their doorstep. They're neighbors now. And all the way through the first three chapters of Micah, Micah is warning them that judgment is coming to Judah. Judgment is coming because of your sin. Because you've turned away from God. Because you have turned to other gods and other loves. Like, like money and possessions and, and land. And, and you've gone into all this wickedness. And Mike is condemning the leaders of Israel. Those who are meant to guide the rest of the people. The, the leaders of Judah. The leaders in Jerusalem. And Micah is promising that because of this, the end is near. In fact, if you read chapter 3, verse 12, after a condemnation of the leaders of Israel, Micah promises, Therefore, because of you, leaders, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. So Micah is saying, because of you, Jerusalem is going to be plowed over and turned into a flat, flat land. A field. What is, what is that image of someone wearing a sign or showing a sign that says the end is near say to us? Well, in our day, COVID-19 uh, has made lots of changes to our everyday experience. You go outside and everyone's wearing a mask. You go to the store and you see shortages all around. Uh, you read the statistics and you find out that, that millions upon millions are now employed, that businesses are closing every day. You read that people are getting sick and dying, that dairy farmers are dumping millions of 
gallons of milk out that the onions, onion fields are being plowed over. And it begins to make those people wearing those signs that say the end is near seem a little less crazy, doesn't it? <coughs> so what gave the faithful in Israel and Judah hope as they saw the enemy on their footsteps? And what gives us hope today in the midst of this pandemic and crisis? It's knowing that the exile is not the end. That this present age we live in is not the end. That there is something more to come. That we have hope because that glorious age to come has broken into our present through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This morning I want you to hear these words and understand them and know them and take them to heart. You see, as elect exiles, as those who are believers, we find hope in the promise of our future, which is found only in Jesus Christ, our King. As elect exiles, we find hope in the promise of our future, which is found only in Jesus Christ, our King. We're going to look at our passage this morning in four points. Um, the first is the day of the Lord. The second is the mountain of the Lord. The third is the peace of the Lord. And the fourth is the king is the Lord. So let's look first at that first point, the day of the Lord. If you look at verse 1 and verse 6 of our passage from Micah this morning, you'll see a particular phrase. It says, in the last days or in the latter days. And then in verse 6 it says, in that day. Now before we can really understand what Micah is saying here, we need to understand the importance of these phrases. In the last days, or in that day, is a, is a end times term. It is a prophetic term that is saying to Micah's original audience, this is a prophecy about the future, about what is to come. And in the last days, in that day, these things are going to come true. And so Micah's audience is cued in, cued in to the reality that this is a, a future promise, something that's going to come for us in the future, in the later days. And that means that as they sat there in the midst of their current circumstances, surrounded on all sides by enemies, sensing the tension of war at hand, realizing that soon the promised judgment that Micah had prophesied would come upon them and Jerusalem would be destroyed, they were being told that it's not the end. They were being told that their day was not the last day. But there is a that day to come. And as Micah's audience went into the future and would read back on this prophecy, would they have known, would they have known that this would be ultimately fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord? There's an interesting prophecy in the book of Joel that speaks about the day of the Lord. And it tells us what the day of the Lord is about. 
and accuse us into understanding that the day of the Lord came to be known and to be understood as the day of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Joel chapter 2, verse 28, 28, very familiar passage to many of you, I'm sure. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will, will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful, dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. What is this saying? The passage in Joel is saying that the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord was the coming of Jesus Christ in his death and in his burial and his resurrection and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. That we, as the people of God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, are latter-day Christians, not in the Mormon sense, that we are living in the last days. We are living in that day where we can taste in part the beautiful promise of God for us and for our future in this passage. But we do not have it in its wholeness. So we wait. We wait. We wait in the midst of this day knowing that there still is a day to come. And that gives us hope. I want to make this very clear for all of you listening. The COVID-19 pandemic is not the end. It's not the last day. There's a day to come. And we called to live as people who are prepared for that day. But what about the mountain of the Lord, right? In verse 1 and verse 6, it says, in the last days or in that day, but the prophecy continues for Micah. He says, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and people will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Uh, for many of us, we may not understand the significance of Micah's language here in describing a temple mountain of the Lord. What we need to see first is the contrast given. In verse 12, as I read earlier, Jerusalem is laid flat. Zion is plowed into a flat land. But here in verse 2 and 3, 1, 2, and 3, we're told that the mountain of the Lord will be raised as the highest of among all the mountains. So there was a reversal of the fates. There's a reversal of what's happened. 
that Micah is saying, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to receive judgment because of what you've done and turning away from me. But you will be restored. There will be a restoration. Right? But the use of this mountain of the Lord language is important to the biblical text. It's important to the history of redemption. If we read, we would find that the Garden of Eden is actually described as a temple mountain, a mountain upon which there was a garden upon which God dwelt with his people, right? If we read and continue to read, we find that there's significance with Mount Sinai, that that was a place in which God's people received God's law and revelation, where there Moses alone dwelt with God and in his presence. If we look at the, the, the institution of the tabernacle and the temple that these are meant to model after these temple mountains, right? These temple mountains where there is a, a place in which God can dwell with his people. The presence of God can be with the presence of his people. And if you look all the way forward into the end of redemptive history and you look at Revelation, that is what's described for us. That the new Jerusalem comes out of heaven and comes down to earth as the last and final temple mountain of God where there is unhindered presence of God with his people. And what that's saying is the whole story of scripture is about a series of temple mountains where there is increased, increased fellowship between God and his people. The question we have to ask is, where does this mountain of the Lord fit into that timeline? The mountain of the Lord that Micah is describing for us. And this is why I chose to read Hebrews chapter 12 as our New Testament scripture passage this morning. Hebrews chapter 12 is enlightening to us concerning what Micah is prophesying about in the time before the exile of Judah. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that there's a contrast between the mountain, Mount Sinai, where the law of God was given, and Mount Zion, where God dwells with his people. He says, you've not come to this mountain that's full of judgment and fear, and if you touch it, you must be stoned to death. You have come to Mount Zion. The heavenly Jerusalem, as described in Revelation, right? The city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant that is sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The mountain of the Lord that Micah is describing for us here is a mountain that we as the people of God have access to through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I want you to consider the words that Jesus said when he was confronted about the whip that he drew out and went through the temple and cleared the temple. On what authority was he doing this? He said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. When he was talking about his body. I want you to consider the words that Jesus had with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. 
When she said, hey, the Jews say that we should worship on the mountain in Jerusalem, but my fathers say we should worship on Mount Gerizim right here. Which one is right? And Jesus said, the Jews are right. We should worship on the mountain in Jerusalem, but that's temporary, and that's going to pass away. There's a day that's coming where God is going to desire, he's going to want worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth, that it's no longer going to be about this mountain or that mountain, but it's going to be about worshiping through Jesus Christ in the power and operation of the Holy Spirit. So this mountain of the Lord, the heavenly Jerusalem, that Micah was promising for the people of Jerusalem, the faithful Jerusalem, the faithful people in Jerusalem who are about to experience judgment. The promised mountain of the Lord is something that we as the people of God taste every Lord's Day. When we gather together and worship in spirit and in truth, we are ushered up into the heavenly Jerusalem by the Spirit through faith. And we see and taste in part the promise that is to come for us. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. Micah describes this mountain as one where the people of the nations would flow to it, would stream upward to it, that the many nations would come and say, we desire to know more about this God. Let him teach us his ways so that we can walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And as the gospel went out from Jerusalem, following Pentecost and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the nations came to know Jesus Christ, who is the word of the Lord that went out from Jerusalem. And here in this day, the mountain of the Lord, its fullness awaits us in the future as we long and we desire to be assembled in the new Jerusalem. But as we live as God's people in this moment, the nations are continuing to stream to it. We've looked at the day of the Lord. We've looked at the mountain of the Lord. What about the peace of the Lord? Verse 3 says, Of God on this heavenly Jerusalem, this mountain of the Lord, He will judge between many nations, many peoples, and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make him afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So Micah is speaking to his, his people in Jerusalem, his people in Judah, on the eve of 
certain judgment that is coming upon them for their sins and the sins of their leaders. And he's saying that Jerusalem is going to be plowed, but there is going to be a restoration to come, that there's going to be a rebuilding. And that restoration does not come in, 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 in the form of a physicality of a kingdom that is purchased or planted in the promised land once again, and a temple, a physical temple that is built in the promised land again, and that there is a, an ethnocentric perspective to this, but in Christ all these things are coming through as the nations are coming to know forgiveness of sins in Him. But there's a, a result, a result of this restoration, a result of the law of the Lord going out from Zion, the word of the Lord going out from Jerusalem, and it's peace, it's shalom, it's wholeness, it's a lack of war and battle. Because God is the judge, and he is the perfect judge. He settles disputes. He judges between peoples. And because of this, because God is the final arbiter and judge and seen as that, there is peace amongst all peoples. They beat their swords into plowshares. They don't need weapons of war anymore. They needed to plant fields and grow food. They turn their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation. They will train for war no more. And there's this great and wonderful image of, of this peace realized and experienced. In verse 4, every man will sit under his own vine. No one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. This imagery of a man sitting under his own vine or having his own fig tree and having no fear, no need to fear, that there's peace on all sides, that there's prosperity figs and, and vines and wine and, and food and plants and fields and, and that, that there's, there's no need to fear. It's a beautiful picture of peace. And if what we've understood to this point is the case, that, that what is being spoken of here is, is not simply word, a word for, for just the people of Judah, just the people of Israel in the return from their exile in the time of Cyrus, king of Persia, if this is pointing to something greater and deeper that has come to us and through us in Jesus Christ, the peace that Micah is talking about here is not a local peace to the land of Israel, to that little place in, in the Middle East. It is a universal peace purchased by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is Christ, the Prince of Peace, who brings this peace to bear in the lives of believers and in the world as a whole. But we're living in the tension, aren't we? The tension of hearing these great and wonderful words of peace, but not living in a world of peace. Um, if it's true that COVID-19 has brought many people together, 
loving and caring for each other, then it's also the case that a crisis like this has split people apart, causing pain and suffering and brokenness in a way that we probably don't even know about yet and can describe. We'll only come to see later. Uh, we're living in a world now where maybe we even sense attention, international attention. Who's to blame for this, what we're experiencing? And who's going to pay for it? But verse 5 calls us to live in that tension as the people of God. Micah declares a contrast here, almost as if to pull himself out of the prophecy of the future that he's describing here and into the present. He says in verse 5, all the nations may walk in the name of their gods. Well, Micah, what are you talking about? You said that in that day, all the nations were going to flow up to God and they were going to say to God, we want to know your ways. Teach us your law. Teach us what, your paths that we may walk in them. But now Micah says, all the nations may walk in the name of their gods. But he says to Judah, we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. This is a call to us. As we are Christians of the last days, as we live in these last days, this is a call to us. As Christians who now in part experience in Lord's Day worship that I so longingly desire to have back again the future heavenly Jerusalem, the future glory of dwelling in the presence of our God. This is a word to us who as the people of God experience in our hearts the shalom of the Lord. The Prince of Peace has purchased for us on the cross that we now have peace with God. That we, that we now experience a peace that is beyond understanding. That it's our call to live in this world as agents of shalom, agents of peace. You see, we may look around today and we may say all the nations, they may walk in the name of their gods, whatever that may be, comfort, money, um, uh, power, sex, it may be uh, influence, it may be whatever it may be, all the gods and the idols may look different today than in Judah's day, than in, in Micah's day, but they're still there. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we... Brothers and sisters, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And it is as we walk, as we walk in obedience, as we walk as people who are fixing our eyes upon the future that awaits us and in order to, to fill us with what we stand in need of today to live that's how the other nations, the other peoples are drawn. 
They see the peace of our lives in the midst of this crisis and this chaos. They say that we are agents of shalom, peacemakers. And they wonder what that is. And how could that be? And we tell them it's because the Prince of Peace died so that I could have peace with God. And you can have it too. No matter the circumstances, Micah's audience was facing judgment upon their borders. Micah's audience was promised that God was going to plow Jerusalem flat. We are living in uncertain times in the crisis of COVID-19. We are living in uncertain days, yet we can still have peace. Because we know that this day is not the last day. And that the last day is nothing that we as Christians should fear. Because as the Heidelberg Catechism tells us, the one who comes to judge the living and the dead has already been judged in my place. And that when he comes, he will destroy all his enemies and mine and take me along with all of his other chosen ones to be with him forever. Finally, let's look at the king is the Lord. We've looked at the day of the Lord. We looked at the mountain of the Lord. We looked at the peace of the Lord. Let's finally look at the king is the Lord. The, fa- the, the last two verses of this passage, the king is the Lord. Uh, Micah says again in, in verse 6, In that day declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles, those I've brought to grief. I will make the lame a remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them. In Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, a watchtower of the flock, O stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. I want to end with this because I want to to bring home the reality that all these things have come to us in Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord has arrived. We are living in the last days because Christ has brought the kingdom. And we are waiting for its consummation. The mountain of the Lord has come because through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we no longer worship on a specific physical mountain, but we worship spiritually by the Spirit into the heavenly Jerusalem. The peace of the Lord has come because in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, We now have peace with God, and we bring that peace out to the nations as we proclaim the gospel, that there is salvation of sins. And we see that shalom come to reality in the lives of people and families from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all this, all this is happening because the king is the Lord. The final part of our passage this morning Micah promises that in that day, the Lord would gather the lame, assemble the exiles, those that he's brought to grief. He'll make the lame a remnant, those driven away a strong nation. He's restoring them. He's bringing the remnant back, the faithful of Israel. He's bringing them back. He's bringing them back to the land. 
And he says, the Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. So there's this unmediated kingship of God with his people. But there's not an intermediate person. There's not a David. There's not a, there's not a, a, a Solomon. There's not a Saul. There's not a king, a human king, or at least not only a human king. The Lord Yahweh he promises, will rule over them in Mount Zion. And verse 8 points to who that is. As for you, a watchtower of the flock, stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Uh, these words, these phrases, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of the daughter of Zion, or hill of the daughter of Zion, uh, these were words that represented the Davidic kingship, the Davidic promise. And so what Micah chapter 4 verses 6 through 8 is telling us that on that day when the remnant is gathered again, that Christ, who is the son of David, who is also the Lord, will be made the king. This is important because in Matthew chapter 28, when Christ, following his resurrection and before his ascension, came to his disciples, he told them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached and quoted from that passage, Joel, that we spoke of earlier about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Peter said, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, he is the one who's sitting at the right hand of God in heaven. Seated on his throne, the throne of his father, David. The throne that David sat on in Jerusalem only pointed to a greater throne that sat at the right hand of God in heaven. And Christ our Lord is the king who sits on that throne. The king is the Lord. Because the king is the Lord, he has ushered in the last days. Because the king is the Lord, through him we can enter into the heavenly Jerusalem. Because the king is the Lord, we now experience in our hearts peace. And because the king is the Lord. And on that last day, all of these realities will be brought to its fullness as we experience true worship unhindered by sin and the brokenness of this world in the new Jerusalem, as we experience true peace of the Lord, where every tear is wiped away, and in that new Jerusalem, there will be no need to fear, for the Lord Almighty will have spoken, because the King is the Lord. I want you to think of that sandwich sign, that sign that people put up and that says, the end is near. And I want you to realize that although that sign is meant to cause fear, 
strike fear into people's hearts and minds. It's not meant to do so for us as believers. The end is near as a source of comfort for believers because the end has come near to us in Christ. We are Christians living in the last days. We are Christians who experience now in part true spiritual worship in the heavenly Jerusalem. We are Christians who experience now in part the peace of the Lord that has been promised. And we are Christians who are living under the rule and reign of Christ Jesus, our King. And because these are true, we as elect exiles, we're exiled from that consummated future kingdom that we await, but we are now citizens of. We find hope. We find hope in the promise of our future that's found only in Jesus Christ, our King. People of God, may you know the hope. May you know the hope that awaits our future. And may that hope of the promised future that we have be something that fills your present with all that you stand in need of as you seek to live for the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. We ask your blessing upon them. We pray that you would help us as your people to live in the last days, in these last days. As those who are ambassadors of the peace of Jesus Christ and those who are living fearlessly and comfortably under the rule and reign of Christ Jesus, our King, as we await the great and wonderful promised future that you will dwell with us that on that day we will no longer be afraid. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.